You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you here this morning. Um, My name is Brian. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful that you are here with us today. Bless you. Uh, here in person, uh, or those of you that are joining us online. And uh, if you are a guest with us here in person, first off, uh, I welcome you and I want to say thank you for joining us. Um, in the pew in front of you or right around you, you may see a little uh, tab that has a QR code on it. Uh, one side is orange, one side is green. The, uh, the green side is for our church. So if you want to fill out a connect card, online, you can do that via that QR code, or you may see some handwritten ones. You can also see me or Pastor Walter afterwards, and uh, especially if you're a first-time guest, we would love to give you a little gift and say thank you for being with us here today, and um, just be able to connect with you uh, for the future. Uh, Also, as we are about to uh, move into um, our time together this morning, uh, many of you probably already got one when you came in this morning, but we are starting a brand new sermon series this morning uh, through the book of 1 Timothy. And so uh, those of you that have been here, uh, you know that when we get into a new sermon series, we have these scripture journals. Um, So if you need one, um, there are uh, still a stack here uh, at the front pew if you want to have that for taking notes during the sermon this morning. Uh, Is there anybody that needs one right now? We can send somebody out to you. Raise your hand. All right. Um, Carl, will you take one to Miss Joan, please? Um, Thank you. Um, The good thing about this book that we're using today, the Scripture Journal, as you can see, uh, the title of our series is Focused how the gospel changes our lives. And on this scripture journal, you're going to see that it is a scripture journal for First and Second Timothy and Titus. And uh, the good thing about that is once we finish First Timothy, we're moving into Titus. So don't lose your book because <laughs> you will have plenty of opportunity uh, to use this uh, for the future. Is there anybody else that needed one? Just want to make sure. Okay. So as I said, We are now moving into this new sermon series through the book of 1 Timothy called Focused. And in this series, we're looking at that truth. We're looking at how the gospel changes our lives. We're being changed by things daily, right? Whether we know it or not, there are things that come about in our lives. And if we're not careful, we are molded and shaped by those things, sometimes without us even being aware, without us even knowing it. And so that's why it's so important for us to be so fixated and focused on the gospel and what Scripture says. We want to have a biblical worldview. We want to live biblically. And that's one of the reasons why we want to go through this sermon series, through this book of 1 Timothy, so that we can grow deeper in our love for the Lord, our love for His Word, and continue to be shaped by the gospel. Now, the sermon title for this morning, you'll see it on the screen, it's called Law and Order. And I don't know if you guys are like me, but this is an important week in our house. Miranda is a huge fan of Law & Order SVU, and season 25 starts this week. I'm not getting paid by NBC to say that, but it's it's a fun thing that we enjoy doing. I've fallen in love watching the show with her, too, and we are very excited in our house for this week. And like I said, 
when it comes to this franchise, whether it's just SVU or the Law and Order franchise itself, you're watching it on TV there, and as we're seeing it all play out, you see that a crime has happened, and when that crime takes place throughout the show or throughout the series of episodes, if it plays out to a big, long-out thing throughout the season, you're seeing how they're finding out the details of that crime and how the law was broken, and they're trying to find the way in which they can bring the person to justice, right? And so it's all playing out before our eyes in those episodes and trying to figure it out. They want to bring the, perp, the person that's committed the crime to justice. Let's think about that just on a, um, on a, on a Charleston level, if you will, a North Charleston level. That show right there that I just mentioned, it's based on a, a, a scripted series, Right? Uh, Dick Wolf and his team, they, they write the whole series. They have it all written out. They have writers that do all of that kind of stuff. But when we talk real life, when we talk about things that go on in our city, there's a law of the land, right? You, we have to follow the law of the land. If there was no law and order, there would be utter chaos. You know, our city would be rampaged with crime nonstop, even more than at times as it does. I mean, there would be no order. If there were those that are in law to enforce the law, if they just said, nope, we're not doing it no more, there would be utter chaos, would there not? We would have so many issues. There'd be more corruption again and again and again and chaos. See, the law is important. It helps us to understand the ways in which we're to live and, and be governed in this life that we live in our city, in our state, in our country. And we think about that on the side of Scripture. When we look at the law, when, when Paul is writing in this book to, First Timothy, to Timothy, entitled First Timothy here, he's writing to Timothy to address some issues that are happening with the church at Ephesus. He's trying to get Timothy to understand, hey, there are some things that are not going the way they should be. There are those who are teaching a false gospel. And they are thinking they're using the law the right way, but they are completely misusing the law. Here's the proper way in which the law was designed and the purpose for it. So, see, for our opening journey today through this book, Timothy is recipient and he's hearing these things of this false law, this false gospel that is being taught. And before we get into the bottom line, before we jump into the meat of the passage, I want us to look first at verses 1 and 2 so we can see this greeting. Paul writes in verses, in starting in verse one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God and our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. So when he opens up there in verse one, he's giving this opening greeting, much like he does in all of his other letters. If you're new to Christianity or you're new to the Bible or hearing these things of Timothy and, and 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, what is all of this, Brian? Paul has written the scriptures. He's written the majority of the New Testament inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write these things. And he's writing this. And in the majority, as you read through the letters, you see that there's usually this salutation. There's this greeting from Paul establishing who the recipient is and the purpose for the letter. Well, he states first off there in verse 1 that he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Well, because the apostle, being an apostle, he saw the risen Christ. He saw the purpose, and, and that is crucially important. Jesus, after he has been 
killed on Calvary's cross and he gives up his spirit, three days later resurrects from the grave, Paul is one of the ones that encounters the Lord Jesus. I mean, he encounters him in Acts 9 as we read. He's journeying on his way to Damascus. And what happens? He gets knocked off of what's carrying him. And he's blinded. And then he's radically changed. God radically changes Paul. This, This incredible testimony of a man who once was killing and persecuting Christians is redeemed by God and therefore sets forth on this incredible journey this incredible missionary that we read about through the New Testament. See, Paul, he's writing this and he's telling Timothy, hey, you need to be on guard. You need to be paying attention to what is happening there in Ephesus. I read to you verse two a minute ago. He indicates that this letter's to Timothy and he says, my true child in the faith. Now we gotta remember, when's the first time that Paul encountered Timothy? Well, if you remember back from when we studied through the book of Acts, we got to chapter 16, Timothy first comes on the, the, the picture and we see what's going on with Timothy. And Timothy ends up accompanying Paul on his second and third missionary journey to go about on the mission that God had called them to. See, this word there, he says, my true child in the faith. When he says that, it's there in the Greek and it translates, it can be translated as genuine, my genuine child in the faith. See, Timothy was a genuine follower of Jesus. And Paul looked at him as if he was a spiritual father to him, a child in the faith. Timothy, you are my child in the faith, and I'm trying to lead you and help you along the journey. He was a spiritual son for Paul. And then Paul there at the end of verse 2 states, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And it wasn't just words on a page. No, 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 no. Paul genuinely meant them because, as I said, he looked at Timothy as if he was a child in the faith. He genuinely cared for Timothy. So with that said, I want to give you that introduction going through those first two verses before we jump into the meat of our passage. If you're taking notes, I hope you are. You have scripture journals. Go ahead and take this note. Our bottom line for today is this. Proper use of the law is why Jesus gave it all. Proper use of the law is why Jesus gave it all. Our first point today, there's only two today. Praise the Lord, we'll be able to get out of here in a timely manner, three o'clock. Misuse of the law. Point number one, misuse of the law. Some of you are like, please tell me he's not saying for real three o'clock. We'll see. Starting in verse three. As I urged you when I was going through going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. I told you a few moments ago, there is false teaching that is taking place. This is critically important for us to understand. I told you a few moments ago, we're going through this book because we want to think biblically. As the church at Holmes Avenue, as we're going through 2024, we want to be as biblical as we possibly can be. And what's the very first thing that Paul just jumps right on into? Hey, Timothy, there is a problem going on in the church at Ephesus. People are teaching a false doctrine. There's a problem with that. He reminds Timothy, he's urging him, hey, before I left for Macedonia, I told you that false teachers could rise. You know, the Ephesian elders were some of the people that Paul spoke to in his writing through Acts 20 is recorded there for us. And specifically in verse 30, he he tells them that men from their own number would arise and distort the truth. 
See, it's very important that as shepherds to the congregation, like right here at Holmes Avenue, that Pastor Walter and I, that we would consistently be on our face before God, making sure that what we are studying and preparing and teaching is biblical and accurate because it is crucially important. If Paul is addressing this inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, it's important. And he's telling them, hey, there are teachers at Ephesus who are teaching a false doctrine. What does that mean? That means that there are elders there at Ephesus that are teaching a false doctrine. They're teaching these things that are not truth. How do you know that, Brian? Well, we're going to see it in a couple of weeks, but as we go through the qualifications for overseers, elders, pastors in a church, they have to be able to teach. And if they're teaching and they're teaching a false gospel, that's a problem. It's contrary to the gospel. What do I mean by the gospel? The good news of why Jesus came. The good news of why Jesus fulfilled the law and died to resurrect for the salvation of all who would repent and believe. How do we know for sure? I told you that these elders are the ones that are teaching. They're the ones that are beginning to have this false gospel that's coming through. And he's going to describe for us within the body how they're doing these things. So stick with me for a moment. Verse 4 tells us, Nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Continuing his thought here, Paul describes how these men have devoted themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Why is this so bad? Well, Paul states it promotes speculation rather than stewardship. It promotes speculation of wondering like, oh, well, maybe this could be it. What if it's this? Instead of saying, no, this is truth. And when they're doing that, it's tickling that itch. It's, it's, it's going over there and scratching it and saying, well, it could be this. Maybe it's this. I don't really know, but we're going to say it's this. That's a problem. That's a problem. Where would they have gotten this from? Well, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, you know that as we're going through, especially if you're in like a Bible reading plan right now, going through the first part of January, you're starting to notice you're going to get into more and more. There's genealogy. Miss Brenda is shaking her head right now. There are all these long lists of the genealogies, right? Wait till you get the book of Numbers. Like there are these long lists of all these genealogies and such, right? And, and you get in there and, and you're just like, man, what, what, what is going on here? And you're trying to figure it all out. Well, in the Old Testament, as they're reading through, there's these genealogies of the families, these genealogies of all these different people. And so they're, they're giving in to all these genealogies to say, well, maybe this could be this. Maybe this is who this is. Maybe it's not. These also lead to these Jewish myths. Paul talks about myths and genealogies. These would be stories about people and their genealogies. For examples, there's, there's books out there like the Book of Jubilees and the Biblical Antiquities of Philo. And they were written on biblical history, yet there are just some of the types of allegorical examples that the Ephesian elders could imitate and thus cause a stir because it would take them the wrong way. The people under their care, it would take them the wrong way. See, Paul says there at the end of verse 4 that it is from God and it is by faith. The importance of the doctrine that we are to teach and to follow. You know, 
I told you a few moments ago why we're teaching through these books here in 2024. We want to be as biblical as possible as leaders to the church and as the church as a whole. And when we're really focused in, when we're really focused in on the truth of Scripture, the gospel changes our lives. We think biblically, and therefore we are not changed by the things of the world that is around us. It doesn't put us on little islands isolated from other people. No, it actually draws us closer and closer to God. We're continually transformed by the Holy Spirit as we pursue the Lord. We pursue holiness. Therefore, as we engage everyone that is around us where we live, work, and play, God uses us teaching us as we go through the study of Scripture, as we understand these things, He uses us to then demonstrate it and proclaim it to the people that are around us. It fulfills the Great Commission. And it all starts, as Pastor Walter said at the beginning, with prayer. It starts with the Word of God and understanding what is true. Look at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. See, Paul continues to point to this charge of why they do what they do. Because it's love that is from a pure heart, not only a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. See, it's a love for God, and it's a love for people. Love for God and love for people. That example there is the whole purpose and vision and mission of why we exist here at Holmes Avenue. We have this vision that we want to see this world, this great commission that we have been commanded to go out. We want to see it fulfilled in this generation. How do we see that? How do we pursue that? We love the Lord our God and we love other people. In loving the Lord and being transformed by the Lord, as we go about and we love people, we see some incredible things happen. It's called the mission of God. It's called being on mission for him. You know, we don't just get that from nowhere. Jesus himself pointed to the fact of why that is so critically important. This passage is on the screen for you, Matthew 22, 37 through 40. And he said to him, Jesus speaking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love the, your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all the law and the prophets. See, this is the love that we're called to show. It's the love in which Paul indicates must be shown from this pure heart, from good conscience, from sincere faith. See, the fact is, church, when you and I are so overjoyed by our love and our relationship that we have with God, our hearts pursue holiness. Pure. Pure heart. Our hearts and our mind are better aware of how we live our lives. Good conscience. And our faith is sincere. We're not hypocritical. We're devoted to the Lord. We live in our life in a way to which the people that are around us see us and they say, wow, there really is something different about you. I got to know. I'm going through X right now and 
I'm having such a hard time, but you seem so overjoyed and I know that you've been through X. What's the secret? It's the joy of the Lord that I have because of what he has done for me. It's examples of how in which we live our lives. Let's finish this section in verses 6 and 7. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, describing to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. See, this whole idea of this point is the misuse of the law, and this is the heartbeat of what Paul's talking about here. Paul describes that that these false teachers are doing these types of things. They're swerving into vain discussion. In other words, it's useless. We also see that there is a pride issue here, hence the vanity of all that Paul's talking about here. He tells us there in verse 7 that they desire to be teachers of the law, but without understanding it. That's a problem. I want to be this teacher of the law. I want to be seen as one who teaches. But I could care less really about what it says. I just want to be seen. I just want to be looked upon. That's a problem. Let's think of it this way within a case study of maybe our church. I'll say this humbly. Walter and I love preaching and teaching the word. We've both been believers for quite some time. We both have been continuing to be educated in the truths of scripture and of theology. But we'll be the first to admit it. We don't know it all. If we knew it all, we would be Christ Jesus. We don't know it all. But there's something about us that sets us apart in that desire. And I say this humbly. We desire something, but we desire to be biblical. We desire to be biblically seeking to be obedient to the Lord, to his word, and to faithfully lead his flock. He's the chief shepherd. We're the under shepherds. This is his church. We are his people. He's called us to shepherd as the under shepherds to care for his flock. That is overwhelming. That is joyful. And it's serious. That desire is different from the desire that Paul is talking about here about these false teachers. It's harmful to the church. It's harmful, and Paul is charging Timothy, do something about this. That brings me to our main point for this section. This idea of this misuse of the law. You may say, well, Brian... What's your point? What are you getting at? Like, I would ask you this question, church. I would ask you, are you living by the word? Are you living by the word? Are we living by the word? And you may say, well, Brian, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a shepherd to this congregation. So I don't really need to answer that question in this sense of what you're asking, right? Like, I'm not trying to proclaim a false gospel, and I would kindly refute that and say that for all of us, it's the word of God and how the Lord uses his word to help us see the ways in which we must continue to grow and thrive in him. 
It's critically important that we are all engaging the word consistently daily. Maybe you set out, I referenced the reading plan a moment ago. Maybe you set out right when the clock struck midnight on January 1st. And you said, you know what? This year is going to be different. I am going to be in the word every single day. I'm going to have this plan. I've got it all laid out. Here we go. And you got to day two. And you were like, man, I already missed yesterday's reading plan. Man, I'm already behind. Oh, well, better luck next year. We just hit only 3% of the year being done. There is still plenty of time. So you missed a few weeks. Don't worry about going back and trying to read 14 days worth of reading plan. Start today. Start fresh. Start today by saying, I am going to cut out this period of time each day. And unless there's a fire or an emergency, nothing is getting in the way of that time with the Lord. Because that time is incredibly important for my soul to grow and thrive in Him. Let's move to the second point. Proper use of the law. Verse 8. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. See, what what does Paul mean by using the law lawfully? And there's a great, great example that's laid out from Danny Burke in his commentary on 1 Timothy. So I'm going to quote from that here for just a moment. I think it's incredibly important. He's referencing several things here when he's talking about the law and doing it lawfully. Talks about the reading of Scripture. He's referencing how all of God's word of the Mosaic law is there from Genesis to Deuteronomy. When he references law, that's what he's talking about. Because as Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, the New Testament is just being penned in that moment. This letter to 1 Timothy is being penned, but the law in which Paul's referring to is what they constantly look to as the word of God, and that was the Mosaic law, Genesis to Deuteronomy. So it's this reading of that law. It's the reading of the Scripture, both invalid and invalid strategies. God's law is good. It's holy. But it's not all interpretations that are good and holy. Paul describes to read the law lawfully while false teachers did not. They interpreted based on their own thoughts and their own desires. That is a recipe for destruction. They're reading the law lawfully. What does Paul mean? Appropriate and inappropriate means of interpretation. I know I'm getting in the weeds here, but hang tight with me for a moment. The proper way. The text is implied by the nature of the text itself. We have to understand the context of Scripture. Danny Aiken, the seminary president at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary when I was taking hermeneutics with him, he said this constantly, context is key. That's why it's very dangerous to just pick Scripture and use it out of context. Context is key. Scripture is all breathed out by God. It is good for reproof. It's good for correction. It's good for training in righteousness. That comes from 2 Timothy. 
The inspiration of Scripture has the focus of the author's intention. See, the use of the law was designed for a purpose, not just for speculative thinking, like Paul pointed to earlier with those false teachings. Reading the law lawfully is doing so the way it was meant to be read by God through his divinely inspired person who penned the Holy Scriptures. See, Paul draws a line between reader speculation and what the text actually means. It's truth versus speculation. I'll summarize it this way. Reading the law in a way that it would be agreeable to the human author, in this case, when you're talking about the Mosaic law, that would be Moses, which is ultimately inspired by God. That's why the scriptures are so important. Because as we flip through it, the Holy Spirit reveals things that are laid out on the page. It's God talking to us himself. Because the Holy Spirit of God divinely inspired the men who penned the pages of Scripture. Verses 9 and 10. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. That's what's the most important thing that Paul is getting across here. The proper use of the law is understanding the whole purpose of the law. I'll have these notes for you in the email that goes out. But look at how Paul just quoted everything from the Mosaic law when he just described what he did through verses 9 and 10. He said, the lawless and the disobedient. You shall love no other gods before me. Sound familiar? He's quoting from Exodus. He's quoting from the Ten Commandments. He said, the ungodly and the sinners. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. The unholy. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The profane. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Those who strike their fathers and mothers. That comes from the Fifth Commandment. Honor your father and your mother. The sixth commandment. Paul's talking about murderers. You shall not murder. Paul then talks about the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. Points to number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Enslavers. You shall not steal. Liars, perjurers. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And then number 10, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. You shall not covet. Let me ask this question. Don't answer aloud. Have you ever messed up any of those Ten Commandments? There's chuckles going on. There's head nodding. Anybody not ever mess up one of those Ten Commandments? Put your hand down, Thomas. (laughs) See, there's the purpose 
and the proper use of the law. The law was given and established so that people had this to go after, this to strive for. This was the law. This is what God said. This is what you must do. Moses, take it down to the people. This is what they must adhere to. And not one of those people in Scripture, not one of us in this room, not one of us watching online can say, oh yeah, I've got all ten of them good. Why? Because each and every one of us, the moment we came out of our mother's womb, had a sinful nature. We were enemies of God that desperately needed to be redeemed. Well, what's the point of it, Brian? What's the point of having the law? What's the point of it all then? The law is established and I come out and I'm already a failure? What am I to do with that? But when we look at the proper use of the law and we understand the reason why sound doctrine is so important, we look to the gospel, we look to the good news, and we see that God, knowing our sinful state, knowing the fact that we were his enemies, knowing the fact that we would continually mess up and we would break the law over and over and over again, he sent a way of redemption and that is through his precious son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the sins of all mankind. That is why he came. That is why the gospel is so important. That is why we must be focused on the gospel. Because it changes our lives. For all who repent and believe and understand the precious blood of Jesus that was poured out, he did it because he was a sacrifice for you and I. Because of our sin that separated us from God. So there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that our best friend that is far from God can do. There's nothing that our neighbor right next door to us or down the street from us that we love and we care for and we desperately want to see them know Jesus. There's nothing they can do apart from understanding I'm a sinner and I am separated from God and I need that redemption that is provided only through Jesus' sacrifice and his atoning work. It's the whole purpose of why we are here. It's the gospel. Which brings me to verse 11 to close out. In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. The truth of Jesus' sacrificial atoning death and his resurrection is the gospel. It's the good news. It's the glorious revelation of God loving his creation. And because he loved his creation, although they sinned against him, he provided his son to go on a rescue mission to throw out the life preserver for us. Because we were drowning in our sin and our shame. This is why we must be biblical. This is why we must be so fixated and focused on the gospel. Because that good news has changed my life. 
Because that good news, if you are here or you are listening online and you know Jesus Christ and you have understood the fact that he paid for your salvation by his precious blood being poured out in your place and that wrath of God being poured on him. It is because of that that we cling so tightly to this and we continually are transformed by being focused on the gospel. So I want to conclude by asking you a question. Where are you at today? Where are you at? Do you understand the proper use of the law and the fact that you and I desperately needed redemption? If you would sit here today and you would say, yes, I know that. And I know Jesus because he has paid for that price for me and he has redeemed me. My life has been changed by that power of the gospel. I say, praise God. And I ask you, are you so fixated on the gospel? Are you so enamored and in love with him that you would live your life in a way that is far different than probably you ever have before and that you would be on mission for him, ready to proclaim and demonstrate it everywhere you go? If you're sitting here today and you say, you know what? I don't know that I have that redemption. I don't know that I truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've attended church. I've done events. I've gone to things. I've listened to things. I've read the Bible. But I honestly can't say that I know that I'm redeemed. It could very well be that today is the day of salvation for you could be the day that you say, you know what? I want what you've just talked about. I need what you've just proclaimed. What must I do? The Bible's very clear. If you repent of your sin and you confess Jesus Christ as Lord and you believe in your heart that God resurrected him from the grave, you shall be saved. And if that's the case for you, the angels in heaven will rejoice and we will join them in rejoicing too. I want to take a moment and just ask you to please pause quietly and reflect. I want you to think about what you've heard today. I want you to jot down in your journal. Maybe there's something that the Lord is speaking to you, something that he's telling you. Maybe there's some things that you need to ask him. Maybe there's some things you need to ask one of us and you just want to have prayer afterwards. Whatever it is, write those things down. Don't let this just pass by. And I'm going to pray for us and the worship team is going to come up and we're going to sing the song, Give Me Jesus. So join me in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, I'm so grateful for you. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful that the good news of the gospel changes our lives. It has changed my life. And Lord, things aren't always perfect. 
We don't live the, the perfect life. There are days that we stumble. There are days that we fall. But your grace is sufficient every day. God, you are so kind. And Lord, I thank you for a passage like this that we see and we have to understand the proper use of the law and, and the, the, the point of it all. That, that whole reality that because of our sin and shame, we cannot obtain the law. But it is why Jesus came and he gave it all for us. Lord, I know I say it a lot, but who are we that you would be mindful of us? We don't deserve your love and your mercy and your grace. We thank you, God, that you have given it to us. Lord, maybe for the one that's sitting here today or listening online that would say, yeah, I don't have that. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to draw them. And they would say, hey, I need prayer. I need Jesus. And God, that you would redeem their soul. But for those of us who are redeemed, that know you. But maybe we're just kind of floundering by and we're not holding high priority in the time spent with you and the desiring to be in your presence. Oh, Lord, convict us of that. Bring us to our knees. Remind us to set the priority daily. To speak with you in prayer. To hear from you through your word. And then to go and make much of your name to those who are around us. Father, I pray, Lord, that now you'd have your way in us, O oh God. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.